turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Hello and welcome to the Situation Report today. Glad to have you joining me. This is the show where we provide you with the information and perspectives you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. My name is Jeremy Stolnecker. I am your host. And when we talk about providing both the information and perspectives, uh, there are some things happening in our society and in our culture that we, we've got to step back <laughs> And with the right information, gain the right perspective. It's the only way we're going to be able to navigate. When we talk about specifically issues like gender, and this is, on this show, we've had several guests on that have, have helped us with so many of these issues related to gender and gender ideology and um, manhood and womanhood and what it all means. And uh, man, we're living at a time where this whole conversation is absolutely upside down. And in many ways, if a person who is male wants to be masculine and wants to reflect what God has created that man to be, there are many who are very quick to say, that's wrong, you should be ashamed of that, you should be embarrassed by that. But as God has created us, male and female, we should be thankful for how he has created us and do our very best to understand fully what it means to be what God has created us. This is honestly one of my biggest issues with the transgender movement. I mean, I have so many issues, uh, but fundamentally my heart breaks for people because it is a movement that says you're not good enough or you're wrong, or you're broken, or God made a mistake. God did not make a mistake. He made us male and female. We could go back to the beginning of Genesis and understand that. And it's good to be what God has created us to be. Um, this is such an important and encouraging conversation. My guest today is Michael Foster. Uh, Michael is a pastor. He has also written a book entitled, It's Good to Be a Man. He has a podcast as well as uh, some other resources available that speak to this issue of biblical masculinity. And I'm so thankful to, again, be able to have the conversation, but understand it better. And uh, we, we've got to get a hold <laughs> Get a hold of this uh, fundamental truth that God has created us and whatever it is he's created us to be and to do is a good thing. And we need to understand it, lean into it, and help under others understand their God-given calling as well. So this is my interview with Michael Foster. Michael, thanks for joining me. Appreciate uh, appreciate your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I have uh, made it as difficult as possible to have this conversation. So I think <laughs> this is the third time we've had it uh, had it scheduled. But uh, thanks for doing it. Um, I want to jump into uh, some obviously extremely relevant and important conversations about uh, masculinity and manhood and what that means. Um, before we jump into that, though. Let, I would love to get your background and and hear your story. Um, it, it's always fascinating to me where people end up investing their time and their focus and their energy 
and the path that led them there. So I'd love to hear your story. If uh, you could just take a couple minutes and and uh, give us your journey. Sure. Well, um, I grew up all over the country. I had a father that was kind of searching for Mayberry, uh, yeah. looking for like kind of that perfect old town, I think, yeah. somewhere he could yeah. have peace. Um, he grew up in a really rough family, broken family. Uh, my grandfather was extremely abusive to him and uh, divorced uh, his mother, my, my grandmother, and uh, married a couple times. He was a new ager, wrote some cultic books, uh, but that was after uh, he had left my, my dad's home. My dad ended up getting in a lot of trouble, uh, drinking, all that sort of stuff, doing drugs, went to jail, met my mom while I was out on probation at a disco. Wow. And uh, my mom is the daughter of a Jewish immigrant and mm-hmm. uh, of a scientist who died of cancer when she was 11. So she was coming from kind of a broken family as well. Met, uh, got pregnant with me out of wedlock, and got married. Um, so both sides of my family, family kind of come from brokenness. My mom's side of the family, uh, it was just a single break. Before uh, going back, there was a lot of stability on that side, not much stability on my dad's side. So I grew up with them for a time um, in a very typical American kind of poor household. But uh, then I got sent away to live with my grandmother uh, because I was acting out as a kid. That was like the whole ADHD, methylphenidate, Ritalin, all that stuff back then in the 80s. I was sent away to live with my grandmother, and uh, she uh, she was a disciplinarian, right? She survived the Holocaust, and that'll that'll do that to yeah, you. Yeah. Um, and she had married a correctional officer uh, who was my grandfather. So, uh, so I grew up in that home. That home brought a lot of order to my life, but I, I was never a Christian. I never thought of myself as a Christian. Never thought mm-hmm. of God really. Um, was kind of an agnostic, uh, like everyone. You can sense his presence, right? You know he's there. But doesn't mean you really recognize it as Yahweh, right? Um, so for me, having all these different influences, New Age and kind of a secular Jewish grandmother, yeah. uh, Christianity was just one of many world traditions. You could learn morality from it. And most Christians were suckers that gave money to the hucksters mm-hmm. on TV that I used yeah. to watch, like Benny Hen. We'd watch Benny Hen. We thought it was a joke, right? And mm-hmm. uh, we'd laugh at it. And so then, um, but... I went through kind of a, in the 90s, I was in, uh, went from being kind of agnostic to being an atheist and more aggressively. Just but There wasn't the internet really yet. So I was like reading guys like Carl Sagan and um, Arthur C. Clarke and yeah. sort of early atheists. Yeah. And then what happened is I had a biology teacher who wouldn't teach on evolution and it really made me mad and I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> and I confronted him. Uh, but the thing, what, what made me mad was... He was a man that I think I looked up to probably more than anything in that stage of my life because he was the uh, coach of the, the reserve football team and a wrestling coach. He was a man's man, but he was also yeah. an intellectual. He was a biologist, very smart guy, carried himself with gravitas and weight. And I looked up to this guy. I just couldn't believe he wasn't teaching evolution. And afterwards, he said, I, I just doubt, I doubt that it's true. <laughs> I just had mm. never heard anyone yeah. say anything like that my entire yeah. life. Yeah. And so... That while that's happening, there's a girl in my art class, Margaret, Margaret Smith, and I hassled her because for some reason at our school, all the kids that went to this Baptist youth group started carrying their Bibles around. I never saw them read it. I, <laughs> I don't doubt that they did. I just never saw it. They just yeah. carried it around, and to me, it, it seemed like kind of a showiness, and I make fun of them. She went to that church, and she was actually a godly one, but I made fun of her just viciously for yeah. believing in all sorts of things that I thought were stupid. 
And she never reviled with reviling. She just was like really godly. So like every guy who meets a girl he doesn't understand, I asked her out. Um, <laughs> but she wouldn't date a non-Christian. So sure. um, I didn't convert her anything there. But her witness and Dr. Bowles, our uh, witness, uh, really kind of put a pebble in my shoe. So months later, I got invited to a, um, I had, had not really gone to church. I got invited to a two-on-two basketball tournament. And some guy in the middle of it, it's like a bait and switch. It was just in the middle of it, they had someone stand up and preach the gospel. <laughs> and I was just born again. You know, the, yeah. it was not, it wasn't an apologetics that did it. It was the word preached in uh, spirit and power. Uh, I was, uh, had a new heart. That was a Friday and uh, Friday night. Monday morning, I went in, went to the card catalog in the high school, looked up Christianity. Mm. There was two books in there, Augustine's Confessions. And The Cross and the Switchblade by David yeah. Wilkerson. Yeah. So I checked them both out, and I went back home. And so I was raised on the early Latin fathers, you know, the Alexandrian fathers, and, and kind of Pentecostalism. <laughs> so hmm. it was a weird start to this trip. <laughs> right. And I became right. a Christian, and then slowly God gave me opportunities to read Bible studies, and, and I got more and more into being a youth pastor and Went to uh, college um, at Northern Kentucky University for um, for uh, literature and history, and fell in love with um, aspects of sociology. Wise there, so I studied a lot of sexuality, um, more from an academic kind of scholarly view, not so much manhood or fatherhood, but yeah. Yeah. why we're wired the way, how our genetics and hormones and all that stuff play out. That ended up becoming a bigger deal later in my life when I did get into this stuff. And uh, but met my wife while still in high school. We're high school sweethearts, kind of last of the time. Married. We have seven kids. Live yeah. out, outside of Cincinnati, Ohio, right in Batavia, Ohio. Yeah. And uh, bivocational pastor. That's a little bit about me. Yeah. Um, man, what an incredible story! It's it's encouraging to hear about people that God brought into your life at different stages of your life. That eventually led to the moment where you hear the gospel preached and would uh, um, would maybe understand it and be able to go back to other people who had lived it and put those pieces together. Um, you talked about that coach and not only um, an intellectual guy but a man's man. How much would you say that that experience with him would eventually impact your understanding of masculinity and? you know, the reality that you spend a lot of time talking about that, you've written about that. How much did, did him, his example, impact how you look at masculinity? We never got into the particulars of his theology. He may have just been an honest theist. I'm not really sure. Mm, yeah. But, um, you know, I, I kind of grew up around masculine men sometimes that were on the verge of being macho. So sure. I didn't grow up around lots of effeminate men at all. Um, you know, I come from a uh, working class family, carpenters and, you know, yeah. cabinet makers, things like that. Um, men that work really hard with their hands. And, and, uh, and so I, I think what was shocking actually was to become a Christian and go to the church and immediately see a different caliber of man in general. Very, very soft, not always straight out of feminine, mm. yeah. but... Definitely not as strong as the guys had known. There were some um, exceptions. I think um, with with my biology teacher, I guess what I would say is that the idea of being concerned about the world of the abstract world of thoughts 
right um, theory, thinking that way, and being masculine and also being good at football and wrestling. I knew those things, they, they could work together. They're not, they're, there's war, warrior poets are throughout history. The idea that these, these areas are kind of against each other. You could, you could hit the weights and hit the books. Yeah. So I think yeah. that really affected me. It's always yeah. funny when I hear criticism of our, of our book being about like kind of machoism. I can always say like, I don't know, what book did you read? Because we, <laughs> we try to undermine that because that's not to be a man is to have emotional depth and to care about words and to be able to sing and to be able to create things and get things done and be able to defend. It's a lot of things, right? And we see all that stuff in scripture as well. So it's it. I think I was blessed to have a lot of exposure to men that have a a proper amount of stoicism, right? Yeah. Control, emotional control, yeah. but also not so emotionally distant you couldn't relate to them. I think perhaps part of the problem with the boomer generation is that they grew up with parents that had suffered uh, some tr- like genuine trauma during the war right. and the depression. Right. And sometimes weren't there emotionally for their kids, and they <laughs> and they they acted out. So I think um, being around men that have a sense of presence, but are also there emotionally available, that was really good for me. So yeah, that's good. What 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 was the catalyst for you to spend as much time as you have talking about biblical masculinity? I mean, as a as a pastor, um, as a Christian, as a husband, as a father, these that is an issue that needs to be addressed. Obviously, and we should all think about. But you've given a lot of your life and attention to that. Why has sure. that become such an important issue for you? Yeah, it kind of happened in stages. So it was that general. I, I was in an anthropology class in college, and we had a lesbian professor teaching it. And she was a fascinating teacher. But I remember she, she was talking about how um, how they popularized hair gel for men because they were already making it for women or something. And she had this whole long thing on androgyny. And she was very pro-androgyny. And it was super fascinating. And she, uh, in our, our textbook, there was this picture of this big greased up bodybuilder, big black greased up bodybuilder. And they showed it to some African tribe. And the, the tribesmen said, man, that is a huge woman, right? <laughs> and so just uh, that kind of, and back then sex was still seen as something that was biological and set where gender was more of a sociological construct associated with biological sex, where those words are a little more interchangeable now. Yeah. But um, so that was, that got me interested in it. So I read a ton back then, just tons of stuff on it. And then probably the next big moment was right when my wife was about eight or nine, about eight months pregnant with my firstborn son. I was watching this movie Click with Adam Sandler. It's a stupid movie. Hmm. But in the movie, he has a remote control that could augment time. It allows him to yeah. move forward yeah. through time. And it has an AI function that learns to skip over the things that you skip. So preemptively starts skipping things. So it skips over all these so, so-called so boring questions or conversations with his family. Before he knows it, he's an old man. And now he's, and now he's at his kid's wedding, who are grown. And his daughter, um, he got a divorce. And his daughter calls another man daddy. And it causes him a stroke, right? He starts having like a stroke right there. And for some reason, I just bursted out into uncontrollable sobbing at that scene. It came out of nowhere, right? Yeah. Like like diarrhea or something, right? Something like the not, <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not given to um, crying or anything like that. Yeah. 
And uh, so that happens. My wife is in another room. She comes in. She's like, what's wrong? And like, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> this Adam so, Sandler guy. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, who knew that click could cause an emotional meltdown? So I run upstairs <laughs> and ask my wife to give me some space. And I didn't really understand it. And uh, I was a couple of years later, I was relating to a friend who had came over from Africa when I lived in a college community. And he was telling me how he saw uh, Lion King with his like 10 year old son at the time. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, and then when Mufasa dies in that movie, he started crying uncontrollably and some, you know, pimpled up teenager with this flashlight, mm-hmm. you know, comes down, sir, you gotta be quiet. Um, and I was like, why, why do you think that happened? You know, I was asking him. Yeah. And he said this thing that was just profound. It stuck with me and it made its way into the book. He said, we're a nation of bastards. And to me, I was like, well, what's that all about? Yeah. Well, he had an old sense of that word in mind, right? He wasn't using it as a pejorative, and neither do we in the book. It's some p- children um, that have grown, out with, grown up without a father. Right. So you go to the um, right. you know, Hebrews 13 right. uh, in the old King James, and it says those that are ill, like if you have the the name of your father, you receive his benevolent discipline. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. uh, they actually use that word there. So that, what I realized is that the, the pressure of now raising a son when mm-hmm. I didn't really know how to be a man, yeah. like not in the way I wanted to, was on me. Because manhood, and this is what's frustrating, you can write books and podcasts, whatever you want about it, but it only can get you so far because manhood is something that is more caught than it's taught. You can't just get whiteboards out right. and memorize a bunch right. of information. It, it, it comes through the trans, it's transmitted. It's like a baton that's handy. And so here's, it's coming time for me to hand a baton to my son. And I look down on my hand and it's empty. And you feel, so a lot of guys become very aware of their masculinity deficit, their shortcomings when children come into the world, right. in particular sons when that happens. Right. Right. So that was one. And then, uh, so that's where I started studying fatherhood, reading all that stuff. Um, and then the, kind of the next big jump was many years later, after I'd been a youth pastor, I had all these young guys that just couldn't get married for the life of them, right? And I just thought these guys, I thought they were lazy. M- many of them are like actually handsome and, um, you know, well-educated and, and well put together. And they were telling me how bad all these women were. And just sound like a bunch of victim victimhood, kind of sappiness. So I just kind of like would say, well, do this and do that. Well, then they would slowly explain to me why, how everyone uses texting to talk, right? Like Mm -hmm. I couldn't ever imagine breaking up by text when I was younger. Right. And that's very common now. Um, And that texting is a huge part of dating now and the, and dating apps and all this stuff. And, and just the um, open, uh, the openness about sexuality, casual sex even amongst those who profess Christ is mm. next level. Mm. And so they're listening to all these secular guys who I was being introduced to, Jordan Peterson and uh, pickup artists online who teach guys how to seduce women and men's rights activists. And I was like, why are all these Christian yeah. guys listening to this? This is crazy. Yeah. So <clears throat> I, at the time, was part-time in the ministry and I ran a shop out of my home. So while I was packing up stuff to ship, I just listened to hours and hours of Jordan Peterson and hours and hours of these pickup artists trying to understand why so, I mean, it was a ton. I had been a youth pastor at the youth group of 100 kids, 
I mean, I knew a ton of people, it was, and it was a reoccurring themes. And that's when I started to understand that a lot of the pagans were kind of recapturing what Aaron Wren calls folk wisdom, what I would call kind of creational truth, truth that's built in to the design of the world and the right. sexes. These right. guys are identifying it. It's like general revelation is what we yeah. would be our theological yeah. category. They're identifying it and teaching it, and, and it's and it's coded with all sorts of barnacles of evolution and uh, you know Jungian uh, psychology or whatnot. But there's some strong truths there that the church wasn't teaching because the church, like my sociology uh, sociology professor, ha- had kind of adopted a much more androgynous yeah. approach to sexuality. Yeah. All that came together. And produce some ideas that turned into it's good to be a man. Yeah. Um, when you talk about masculinity and, you know, masculinity is one thing, but then there's biblical masculinity. How do you differentiate the two? What's the difference between biblical masculinity and simply masculinity? Yeah, it's actually a really simple answer is that when we speak of biblical masculinity, we're talking about the masculinity per God's design prior to the fall, and post-redemption. So it's uh, the, the way men ought to be according to the Word of God by the Spirit of God. So biblical masculinity is just the re- reordering of our nature by grace. Um, so basically uh, masculinity, so you don't have to teach a cat to be feline. It's its nature. Right. Right. And what's so crazy is we have to... Um, we really have to teach people how to be feminine and masculine these days because of the breakdown of the family. It, it usually was taught and caught via um, not just mom and dad, but you know aunts and uncles and grandfathers, the extended family. The nuclear family is a new thing, right? It's, the extended family was the norm for most right. of history. And right. so, so now uh, we have to teach it. But Aspects of our sexuality have, have been corrupted by sin. It has The image of God's been marred, but it hasn't been obliterated. And with that, we can see evil tendencies in men and in women uh, that play according to their sex. So, for example, if you go to 1 Timothy chapter 2, everyone thinks about whether women can teach or not. But uh, part of that chapter that's super um, interesting to me is Paul's trying to set worship services in right order. And he says to the men, I want you to lift your hands up praying without wrath and dissension. And then he turns to the women and he tells the women, I want you to dress modestly. Mm-hmm. Now, that makes a whole lot of sense to me. Because guys, we have more testosterone. And guys are more given to uh, anger and dissension in that sense than women are. Guys, we argue, we argue, and we fight quicker. The most, most violent offenders in the jail uh, are, are male. And women... Uh, are much more, uh, they're the ones buying all the makeup. They're the ones spending all the money on that stuff for the most part. It's not to say that women can't get angry or men can't be vain, but vanity is uh, more pronounced than a woman because a woman knows that her beauty is uh, a really important part of who she is. And a man knows that his strength is a really important part. So even when Paul is correcting Christians in the church of Ephesus, he sometimes does it to mankind on the whole because we, we are mankind. We belong to that. Right. But sometimes he specifies um, according to the variety of sex that God's given to them. Just when you thought it couldn't get any better, Mike Lindell with MyPillow is launching the MyPillow 2.0. When Mike invented MyPillow, it had everything you could ever want in a pillow. Now, 
Nearly 20 years later, he discovered a new technology that makes it even better. The MyPillow 2.0 has the patented adjustable fill of the original MyPillow and now with a brand new fabric that is made with a temperature regulating thread. The MyPillow 2.0 is the softest, smoothest, and coolest pillow you'll ever own. For our exclusive listeners, the MyPillow 2.0 is buy one, get one free offer with promo code SITREP. MyPillow 2.0 temperature regulating technology is 100% made in the USA and comes with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Just go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square to buy the one, get one free offer. Enter promo code SITREP or call 800-870-0283 to get your MyPillow 2.0 now. Why is that concept um, so lost in the church? You mentioned going to a church and seeing you know, soft men or men that were not what you had seen in other settings uh, prior to going into the church. And I think this is one of the big issues that we're dealing with is Christian men don't understand what you just in two and a half minutes explained. Why has that been lost in the Christian community? It's actually a really hard question to answer. You can, there's, it's, it's, it's multi stream. It's a multi lane thing. So a good book by Leon Pottles is a church impotent. So he makes, he, he describes it and shows that this has been going on for centuries and it's been gaining, it's gained massive steam since the fifties and every decade it's, it's sped up like, exponentially yeah but it's something you can track back to the colonies cotton mather complained about it uh you can get all the way back uh to to europe on it uh puddles ties it to uh, bernard of clairvaux's bridal mysticism and basically saying so covenantally the church is the bride of christ but you and i are not the bride of christ we're as the body of Christ, covenantally. Sure. It's like, you're right. not America. You're an American. Right, right. right, but, right. but we as a nation are America. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So he took that and he applied it to individuals too much. And so now, relating to Jesus primarily as a husband is kind of comforting and sweet to a woman at some level. But to a guy, it's creepy. Right? Yeah. We're uncomfortable yeah. with that. Right. Um, so he ties it to that. I think that's part of it. I think... Uh, pro- Protestants, um, in a wrong understanding of the doctrine of justification by faith, sometimes accidentally uh, diminish the importance of sanctification. That God has called us to live a holy life, and while we have no part to play in our justification, now out of our justification, the Holy Spirit works into us, and we do work. Uh, we do have effort in, in growing in holiness. Guys like effort. Guys like guys love like people always say that um, video games are emasculating. No, what makes video games dangerous is how masculine they are. Is that it's about working with a bunch of guys, conquering, taking things over, and developing a bunch of skills and leveling up, right? That's what makes them dangerous. Why they're bad is that something that can be okay in small doses recreationally becomes uh, takes them out of the real world into digital domains that have no consequence, ultimately, right? So guys like to level up. I want to grow. And when Christianity becomes all about just kind of like a disconnected belief, mm. um, that can alienate guys. I remember when I read the book of James for the first time, I was like, finally, someone telling me what to do. Someone just tell me what to do. I was a new Christian. I didn't know what to do. 
So <clears throat> I think a misunderstanding of justification by faith. I think uh, bridal mysticism. But I uh, think feminism is the big one. Feminism uh, basically tends towards androgyny and says that men and women, it, it blurs the line and makes them interchangeable. And so like what you learn about feminism is that feminism hates femininity, right? It wants yeah. women to compete yeah. with men yeah. and be men. Yeah. And if you study that, like my favorite one to study, because she's so honest, is uh, so when I was studying sexuality in um, college, I, I read all the radical feminists. And so my whole version of patriarchy comes from understanding <laughs> radical feminists. I think it's yeah. a kind of a unique way that in the Augusta in Augustine and Cyprian and Origen and all those guys. Um, but uh, Shulamite Firestone says the only way a woman could ever be liberated is to, 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 to be divorced from her womb. And she's a big advocate of like babies. There's like sci-fi stuff back in the 70s. Yeah. Babies being born in bags, which is stuff they're talking about now. But what's most important is that she sees her womb as something that's bad. When you read someone like uh, Betty Friedan, she sees uh, the household as a, pre a prison to which a woman's shackled, mm. right? And so to be liberated is to actually to reject motherhood and to reject uh, being a wife. And we've seen where that's gone. And uh, it, for example, like people talk about how fathers and mothers, they, they act like we do nurture the same way. We don't, right? We're like, we're both important, but a, a, a father's nurture it, 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 because of father's intensity, his nurture plays out a different way. And every woman listening to this will know exactly what I'm talking about. She has been commanding her child to do something this day, and he hasn't done it. And dad walks in and says to do it, and the, the kid does it right away. It's very annoying to a woman, right? Mm -hmm. She's glad that the kid does it, but she's thinking, why does he not just listen to me? Yeah. Well, dad's presence like, is a very, very um, intense presence. And so dad's don't spend the same amount of quality time or quantity time with their children that moms do. Part of that is just by design. Moms feed the baby. Moms carry the baby. So for a young man, there's a moment where he's got to pull away from the world of women and pull into the world of man, which is a world that pushes further and further out. That's, this is why homeschool is so rough with your sons when they hit double digits, is that they, they're constantly challenging mom. And that's partially in their nature, wanting to separate themselves from the world of women yeah. and moving men. Yeah. What does this have to do with the church getting it wrong? Well, it's they treat men and women as if they're interchangeable. It shows that right. they're not. Like we're complementary. Like it's that we fit together. Yeah. And you need masculine nurture. Yeah. You need feminine nurture. They just yeah. don't look identical. They share things in common. And so the church has bought into that. And, and everyone's been brainwashed. And to say that from the pulpit, you're going to make people mad. And a lot of modern pastors, their, their job, as they see it, is to keep the peace. I see it yeah. as making peace, yeah. right? That's, not, that's keeping things quiet. That's keeping people from complaining, <laughs> right? right. right? Yep. Peace comes when uh, you've resolved the conflict with the Word of God patiently. And so I think a lot of them, it's really hard to tell girls that uh, wasted some of the best years of their life um, that you may have missed out on motherhood because you were working 70 hours a week pursuing a career because everyone told you you have to also have a career and be a mom. I mean, that's the problem with this is terrible with what's going on with women. 
They're told that not only do they have to, they have to be everything. They have to be the best lawyer, the best whatever, right. the best mom. They right. can have it all, right? That's right. why they have all these anxiety problems. Um, it's hard to tell women that. And also um, to, to actually be the sort of man that call men to excellence is hard. Our pastors are undisciplined, weak dudes that often couldn't make it in anywhere else in life. And the only way they could get access to authority was the, the low the low barrier of entry yeah. into the pastor. Didn't used to be that way. It used to yeah. be that pastors were the guys that kicked butt. It was like our original, our, our founding fathers. Even the ones you don't agree with, when you look at the yeah. founding fathers, you're like, these guys are crazy. They're like lawyers. They're running all these side businesses. They're fighting wars. <laughs> right. they, got their own, they got their own farm. It, it right. used to be that's who our pastors were. They're men you looked up to. If they read books, that's fine. But they were tough before that, and they could do things. Yeah. So masculine men... They go and they see the guy in front of the pulpit and kind of like, they're like, my rule is this. Would I follow him into battle? And then when people hear that, they always think, oh, oh, so he's got to be a barbarian. No, I'm thinking of Dick Winters from Band of Brothers. I'm yeah. thinking of Tom yeah. Hanks' character from uh, Saving Private Ryan. I'm thinking of the man that is cool, calm, collected, clear vision, strong words. That's what men are looking for. Those men are not in the church. Yeah. And so... Yeah. You know, birds of a feather flock together. You get effemacy in the pulpit, you're going to get it in the pews. And that's, so these are the things we have to correct. We have to be willing to weather the storm of people realizing they've been deceived by a culture of feminism, by a culture that hates masculinity. We have to weather that storm and be patient and, you know, not snap at them. And we also have to get a higher quality of man in the pastorate. Yeah. That's the battle we're up against right now. So aside from the church, and I completely agree with you, um, it, it makes me sad when I hear the statistics on church attendance. And, you know, I, I, people will say as high as, I don't know what the rate really is, but generally 70% of church attenders are women. Um, so most churches then build their structure around, you know, women. That's music, that's lighting, that's, you know, those things. I, I don't know if that's true, but certainly that's a problem. I may not be able to control that or change that, but in my home, there are some things that I can do to raise my kids, my boys, right? And then my daughters in a way that they understand what a, a biblical man is as well. Um, what are some things that as a husband and as a father, I should be focused on if I want to, um, it's better uh, caught than taught. If I want my kids to catch what it is to be masculine in a way that reflects the Bible. Yeah. So it, you can't rule others if you don't rule yourself. Mm. I mean, basic mm. discipline. Go yeah. to bed at a certain time, wake up yeah. at a different at a certain time, you know, uh, read the Bible. Um, I think, here's what I would say. Um, the first thing to do is, one, get your sleep down. Don't live chaotic. Um, and two, stop being on screens all the time. Yeah. Right. Get a life, dude. Right. You have these little people <laughs> around you. They, they yeah. age, you know, how old are you? You look like you're about 46. My, yeah. So you're just yeah. a little bit ahead of me. So you already know this is that it's just, it's everyone tells you it moves at blinding speeds. It does. And, uh, yeah. and the scare, one of the, one of the scariest moments, this is what people don't know. They think the hardest part of being a parent is when they're little. It's not, it's one of the easiest parts is when they're teens on the way out of the house or out of the house yeah. because you had your shot. Now you rule by, you know, you influence from a distance. Yep. There's only so much you can make up yep. for. Um, so put the phone down, have a time, 
you know, where it's like, they, is the business going to burn down overnight? I kind of doubt it is. They can wait, you know? Um, <clears throat> so those two things, the reason I like that is that it starts bringing structure to your household and then pick a couple days a week. It can be Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Monday through Friday. And around a meal, it could be breakfast, it could be dinner. Who cares? Read a little bit of scripture with your family. Hmm. Like I would highly recommend, especially if it's smaller kids, that you pick a historical, you know, First Samuel or yeah. Genesis, Exodus, or any of the Gospels. <clears throat> Something that's not super didactic. And read a, a chunk that makes sense. And not a whole lot, and then say, um, "What stuck out to you?" And then they say, "And he says, what stuck out to me?" Yeah. And then say, "Okay, great, yeah. that's awesome." Make a few comments, say, "Pray," and pray together. And if you know how to sing, sing a song. If you don't know how to sing, just start there. <laughs> Do that, right. and build. Right? Like, if you go into the gym. Like the way to start, I'm getting back into it after having been really sick for a couple of years. Um, <clears throat> you go in the gym and you don't do everything at once, right? Yeah. Like the, like this past week, I'm like, I'm just going to do three sets of 10 at like 60% yeah. on everything, right? Just yeah. like let these muscles like, all right, guess what, guys? You know, <laughs> we're doing something. Yeah. We're doing this. Let me pump you back up and prep you in this so I don't get an injury. A lot of times people go in so hard that they, they – they collapse under the pressure of trying to change things. Yeah. What you need is momentum. You will be blown away by how much reading the Bible for a few minutes, a couple days a week, changes your family. That's good. And, and you got to weather the storm when the kids, like the kids, like what I like to do is wait for the kids to, to where they've ate, started eating a little bit. They're not done yet. So they're still shoving stuff in their mouth. And they're distracted. So I can read scripture so they don't interrupt me every two seconds and make <laughs> me lose my mind. Um <laughs> I would say that's a good place. Start bringing order, right? And you need to understand that um, probably one of the greatest gifts you can give your kids is uh, joy, mm. right? Like the wrath of man doesn't accomplish the will of God. Angry dads will produce either angry children or sullen children, right? Like children that are mousy. So a lot of macho dads produce effeminate kids. Yeah. Macho, macho is the flip side of effeminacy. It's, it's, effeminacy is adapting the, uh, the feminine qualities on a man. That's a problem. Like take a woman's hips. A woman's hips sway because she has, literally has different bones. So when you want to identify a skeleton, one of the easiest ways to tell if it's male or female is its hips. And that's because her hips have to kind of open up when they have babies. So right. when a woman's on her cycle, or like, like she's fertile, she'll sway her hips more. So when we see a guy sway his hips, there's no reason for that. That's an affect, right? There's no like, unless he was in an injury, we're talking Jacob here or something, there's no reason <laughs> to do that. Um, he's taken on, that's effeminacy, right? It's, it's beautiful on a woman, it's repulsive on a man. It's, so feminine is not bad, but um, macho... Is it's it's a it's a exaggerated masculine affects, right? It's spitting yeah. like exaggerating muscles. It's just it's over the top, right? It's a cardboard. What it is, right. it's not strength and character in control, package, strong, focused, right? Ordering. They're both two sides. So these macho, angry dads 
think through fear and leverage and intimidation and threats that they'll produce strong children. They don't. They're weak. That's the that's one of the causes of effemacy is yeah. overcompensating moms and dads that are distant in their affection yeah. in the way yeah. they do it. So what a dad has to realize is, dude, you need to start praying because <clears throat> anger is usually always secondary. You're angry because something that's go- you, you don't have control. Someone's interrupting the game. Therefore, you don't have comfort. So you have to be a man that deals with the anxiety via, via prayer. Like, like guys that start praying, you can always tell when someone's not praying. They're anxious about everything. There's an energy about them. that they, they make you nervous. Yeah. When a dad walks in, he needs to be an ordering presence, right? He, he has this uh, like, almost like a gravitational field that he puts off. Yeah. But dad's happy. Yeah, it's a rough day, but God's good. Dad's got joy, right? Dad's got swagger. He's got confidence. You bring that into your household. It'll change everything, man. It'll, yeah. it'll change the whole bit. Yeah, that's good. Um, before we leave, talk about your book for a minute. It's good to be a man. That's an interesting title, right? And and I think you alluded to maybe getting some pushback because of that. But what what do you address? And and kind of what's the what's the premise? Of, <laughs> the title is very clear, but what is your your underlying premise there? I like to think of it as our generation's war and peace, perhaps. One of the greatest books. No, I'm sorry. Uh, um, so the way you got that's very name, aspirational, which is great. I think that's, that's that swagger you were just talking about. I'm surprised it's done as well as it did. We thought we'd we'd sell a couple thousand copies, but we had no clue it would do this. Um, so I used to run, come home, and run with my wife every day, Monday through Friday, and uh, we ran about two miles. And the mile marker was a um, was a mailbox, and on the mailbox it was the Goodmans, right? Yeah. So every time I stopped there, that's where I turn around. I saw that, you know, five days a week for yeah. years. So I was thinking, yeah, it's good to be a man. That's what the Bible says, right? <laughs> right. And, um, and so the, the truth, the reason I picked it, it's good to be a man as the name of the, what was first a Facebook page, was I thought it was positive. I like that. What I don't like about complementarianism, um, or some forms of it anyhow, is that it's all about what women can't do. It's all framed negatively. (laughs) It's got a very defensive posture. I don't like that. That's not how scripture starts. Scripture starts with sex being very good, both male and female. So now someone said, why don't you write about both sexes? Well, why don't you write a book? Why don't you write a book? You you think that's easy? Maybe it is for you, man. Go ahead and do it. I had some people critiquing, well, he doesn't talk enough about women. I don't talk talk enough about men. It's not like a systematic theology of masculinity either, but we, we gave what we had and we, and we understood the scope was to encourage men. So I wanted a book that was, um, a breath of fresh air for men that feel hated. I wanted to explain the spiritual dimensions of that and not just the cultural, how this is a spiritual war between an evil father, an evil patriarchy, that being the devil, the father of lies and, and the archetypical or, the actual father, yeah. uh, Father God, yeah. um, and how even if you come from a broken family and you don't have a dad, well, guess what? Through the blood of Jesus Christ, that's good. you can be adopted as a son. You can yeah, have the good. confidence that comes from knowing that other people may look down on you, but God, his countenance shines on you. You, he, you have his approval. That should give you some swagger. Yeah. Uh, that gave Paul joy to in, in prison and the confidence to stand before Caesar, right? And you can do the same in our lives in smaller ways. Um, so I want to write a book on that. So the goal was to basically it's 14 chapters, 
Seven is kind of how manhood was lost. And seven's kind of how manhood is regained. And we said we didn't want to write a timeless book, but a timely book, a book that would get you going. If you're looking for a true handbook, oh, this is actually not that. It's a topographical map with a compass. It points you the right direction. If you're looking for GPS instructions, right. uh, it's not our book. But it'll get you going the right way, help you correct some of the ways you think, and let you know that you're not insane for thinking that the church is very skewed right now. And we wanted to rescue men from Absalom's. We use Absalom as this sort of um, type of uh, a man. It says Absalom would he'd ride around in his chariot and stand at the city gates and do all this stuff and tell them, like, hey, I'm for you, hey, I'm for you. And then it says, in this way, Absalom stole the heart of Israel. And we think that, to varying degrees, these pagan masculinity experts are stealing the hearts of our young men. Some of them, yeah. I, do, I think Jordan Peterson means them well at some level. Right. Other are straight up charlatans, right? Yeah. They're taking advantage yeah. of them. We don't want to lose a whole generation of men to those guys. Because the Word of God is very sharp, and it gives us insight um, on how to deal with these things. And a lot of the things that is called red pill or alpha, right? Yeah. As soon as you use the word alpha, you feel not very masculine. But, um, <laughs> but a lot of those concepts, nonetheless, are, are scriptural. And scripture is better. It's more sure yeah, than that right. general revelation. So that was the idea of the book. And so we got some pushback. That's from people with bad reading comprehension. Right. When I read their critiques, like I had someone saying, our book says that only men can have dominion. And then in our book, we say some people might be tempted to think only men can have dominion. But right. that's not true. <laughs> men and women right. together, our dominion yeah. requires both sexes. So a lot of the critiques I've seen is that we use some proverbial language. Right. Like when scripture says God makes rich the hands of the diligent, he doesn't mean that people without hands can't get rich. He doesn't mean that people that sure. aren't rich are lazy. He doesn't mean if you're diligent, you'll always be rich. It's proverbial language, speaking in generalities, that requires a mind that can figure in some basic exceptions. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, uh, I appreciate it, and I think the title is, um, I think it is great. I think it, particularly at this moment in time, it's reassuring when to be a man um, is something to run away from or yeah. pretend you're not or to be ashamed of or something. Uh, young men in particular need to be told it is good to be a man. If that's how God made you, it's good to be, just like it's good to be a woman, <laughs> but we're yep. talking about being a man and it's good to be a man. Where can people get the book? And uh, you're involved in other, you have a podcast, you have other things as well. Where can people connect with you? Sure. If you want to connect with me, I'm, uh, my DMs are always open on Twitter. So I'm on Twitter probably the most. Uh, this is Foster is my handle, T-H-I-S-I-S-F-O-S-T-E-R. You can go to, we have a newsletter that goes out every Saturday on itsgoodtobeaman.com. The book is for sale. I know Canon will want me to say it's for sale on canon.org. <laughs> Canon yeah. Press, I don't know. Google Canon Press. Yeah, Google Canon Amazon. Press. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. It's on Amazon as well. And uh, leave us a review to uh, offset any negative ones that might be there. Yeah. Leave a good review. Don't leave Please. a bad review, but leave a good, leave a good yeah. review. Michael Foster, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Many of our veterans feel they need to fight their battles alone. 
This self-isolation has led to the staggering statistic of more than 20 veterans taking their lives every day. The mission of Mighty Oaks is to eradicate the veteran suicide epidemic and help our warriors change their legacies. We've been able to help over 4,000 veterans and first responders by equipping them with the tools they need to live the lives they were created to live. Our faith-based, peer-to-peer approach has one of the highest success rates of any program available today, offering hope and understanding to those who need it most. By aligning their lives to biblical principles, these men and women are able to lead their families, their communities, and our nation. It's your generosity that can make a difference in the lives of the men and women who have fought for our country and our freedoms. Now that they're home, don't let them fight alone. Learn more at MightyOaksPrograms.org. Appreciate that conversation and that perspective. Again, we talk about information. We need to have information, but we need to have the right perspectives. And uh, we have allowed a world that is confused to crush the idea that we should be excited about what God has created us uniquely to be. And I'm thankful for this conversation. Please go and check out uh, Michael's uh, work. You can go to the website. It's good to be a man.com. Look at the book, listen to the podcast, other resources available there. Check those out. Thank you for listening. I really do appreciate it. If you're not yet subscribed to this podcast, please do that. Do it right now. Subscribe. Your subscribe button may say follow, whatever the case, do that. And uh, we'd love to have you join the conversation and be around when new episodes come online a couple times a week. Go to YouTube then. Check out our YouTube channel, The Situation Report. You'll find us there. And uh, we'd love to have you join there as well. Again, thank you. Look forward to talking to you next time.